I often feel on the first couple of days of a retreat, which I know can be really quite demanding days, that there's some value in giving Dharma talks that are perhaps somewhat uplifting or encouraging or inspiring. So when I tell you what I'm going to talk about tonight, you'll probably think, I'm doing exactly the opposite and trying to depress you wholeheartedly. But hopefully by the end of the talk you'll understand that that's not actually so. So what I'd like to talk about this evening is disappointment. (laughs) More particularly, I'd like to speak about the wisdom of disappointment. First, I'd like to invite you to think back a little to the last time you felt disappointed. For some of you, it might just be five minutes. You know, it might be an hour, it might be a day, it might be a week. Just take a moment to reflect. The last time you felt disappointed by someone, by yourself, by life. I think one thing is for sure, disappointment is perhaps one of our most shared emotions and experiences in life. Is there anyone here who's never felt disappointed. And it has a certain feel to it, disappointment, doesn't it? It's a mixture of feelings. Kind of sadness, regret, kind of sense of deflation. So we might wonder, since this has is such a familiar companion perhaps in our life, What is the wisdom to be found in this feeling? Now, one way of describing, in my understanding, one way of describing an enlightened heart is actually a heart that can't be shattered by disappointment. It's a heart that's really surrendered the insistence that life must be other than it is. A part of the enlightened heart, the joyful heart, is one that really knows the wisdom and the capacity to be surprised, the willingness to be surprised. And through that willingness to meet each single moment, then, with a very profound openness and receptivity, I think to know this joy and to really know this deep steadiness and freedom of heart, there's something of a journey that we all make in our life at different times and in different ways. And it's a journey in which we learn to step back from and to step out of this deeply uncomfortable marriage of wish and disappointment of expectation and despair. 
and learning how to step out of that marriage to release some of the frustration and anger that can be so much part of our lives. And in that releasing, to open to another level of peace and depth. Now probably as long as we remember, disappointment has been part of our lives. Because there's simply so much in life that is actually really not what we hoped for or not what we expected. That life can often bring us less than we thought it would turn out differently than we'd hoped it would. We probably all remember the small and the large disappointments of our childhood. When a loved pet died, when a childhood story or mythology was punctured, at times when we were rejected by childhood friends, we may have wished in our life and as children for different, to have a different family or to have more attention or more love than we felt we received. We may be disappointed as we go through our lives that we didn't quite perhaps find the admiration or the success that we'd hoped for. And we see that disappointment plays itself out in a whole number of different ways. Frustration, envy, blame of others, blame of ourselves. Sometimes when we look underneath, the, lift up the blanket of some of those feelings, what we see underneath, lying underneath them is this kind of theme of disappointment. We have seen in our lives our wishes and our hopes shattered in small and in large ways. And this dance and marriage of expectation and disappointment really does seem to follow us wherever we go. You know, perhaps in this moment we haven't ended up with the mind or the body or the relationship that we dreamt of. It's not always so painful. Disappointment can be, you know, just these small moments when we're, you know, before coming to the retreat, we may have dreamt of being out here in the country, leaving the city. We arrive here and find ourselves missing the vitality and the bustle of the city. You know, I speak to people who tell me when they're working, they're dreaming of the kind of bliss of retirement They retire and they miss the stimulation of work. It wasn't quite how they thought it would be. Sometimes when we're alone, we imagine the happiness of having a companion. Then we end up in the middle of a party and again we're imagining the delights that solitude would bring. You know, some things in life just don't seem to last long enough. And other things in life seem to last way too long. And we may at times have felt the deeper, the ache of a very deeper disappointment of people that we've cared for deeply, people that we've loved, who we feel have in some way let us down or betrayed us or not offered the love or the support that we had imagined would come from them to us. 
Sometimes we feel disappointed in our most intimate relationships when we may discover that the person we care for is not who we thought them to be, not who we imagined them to be. This plays itself out in our own practice journey in the midst of a chaotic life, you know. We may have imagined and hoped of the peace that a retreat will bring. And we've hardly sat down on our cushion and we're planning our departure, (laughs) packing our suitcase and longing for what we feel we're missing in our life or the people we're missing. You know this sense of not at ease? sense of the things we imagine just not quite being what we'd hoped for. And there's another dimension which is perhaps even more painful. The myriad of ways that we can be so disappointed with ourselves. You know, when we say something, do something that we regret so deeply, we say or do something that we feel has hurt another or that we have felt has diminished in some way ourselves, that can be very hard to bear. And we see the ways, you know, the ways we can feel disappointed with ourselves in retreat too. You know, we, we might hope that finally this retreat is the one retreat, there's maybe going to be some kind of turning point or we're going to let go of some historical resistance and be the most dedicated and audacious yogi of all time. And then, you know, we hardly even have the thought and then we find ourselves once more hiding out in our room or, you know, finding all the multiple things that are better to do than sit or walk and telling ourselves once more that same story. Well, practice later, there's surely going to be a better moment to practice in. We may have hoped for rapture, you know, if you're a new student, you may have read a lot of stories about, you know, everybody else's blissful meditations. We hope for rapture and we get an aching back, you know. Hope for calmness, we get agitation. Even the moments of stillness that we might find, suddenly they get interrupted by this voice that says, oh, you know, at last... You've got a moment of stillness and just shatters it. And in truth, you know, in truth, this story of disappointment seems almost too long a story to tell. And we could think of it as being very depressing. But actually, this story and the reality of disappointment, I think, is really a discomfort that we are asked to meet and understand in our lives. Simply because... The discomfort of disappointment is such a familiar companion that it would be naive to imagine that we should just somehow bypass it or overlook it. You know, so often, how many moments do we find ourselves hanging, suspended, kind of waiting in our wishes, hoping for things that we don't have, hoping to be someone who we are not in this moment, even hoping or waiting for a life that is yet to happen. You know what? Every moment of disappointment is a glimpse of the first noble truth. That there is unsatisfactoriness 
and at times there is suffering and there is even torment in this life. Every moment of disappointment seen more deeply is also a glimpse of the second noble truth, that the very causes of that disappointment is often rooted in our wanting, in our waiting, in our expecting, that all of those kind of experiences in a way is almost to invite chronic disappointment into our hearts and lives. Quite frankly, wanting and waiting and demanding is almost like volunteering for suffering. That the nature of that holding to our demands and insistence is too often to surrender the joy and the peace that might be possible for us. Every moment of disappointment also holds within it the seeds of the third noble truth, that there is a very real possibility of bringing to an end that pain and that torment, that there's a very real possibility of living a life that is free of frustration and a life of freedom. And the place where we really walk that path and the place where we really understand the freedom from frustrated attachment is really in the midst of it. It's not in some later ideal moment. There's a wonderful poem. I think it's a wonderful poem I'd like to read you. Because it speaks about this immediacy of finding that way to freedom, of finding that the end of that suffering of disappointment. It says there's a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound, whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. I think this, this path of liberation asks us not only to find the grace and the courage and the wisdom to embrace the discomfort and at times the very, very deep pain of disappointment, but also really to understand the wisdom, the freedom that disappointment itself is really offering to us. Now, in my understanding, disappointment is the place where every great mystic and yogi begins their journey. It is the root, disappointment, we might say, is the root of every path of enlightenment. We don't only need to look at the social activists of the past and the present, those who have brought political transformations, the women of the past, 
who actually turned towards disappointment and actually understood there was a way out. But it is also a beginning of a spiritual journey. You know, Siddhartha began his journey, for example, in disappointment. A disappointment his family had desperately tried to shield himself from, to shield him from. Trying to provide a world in which Siddhartha would not feel any discomfort or have any sense that life should be anything other than perfect. And it is why, as I spoke about in the first evening, why Siddhartha was so incredibly startled when he went out of this constructed and engineered world of pleasure and perfection to meet life as it was. You know, and faced with those realities of loss, of sadness, of grief, of pain, when he asked, when he really understood his life, his world was not as he had imagined it to be. And asking his driver, you know, is this also part of my life? You know, it was a kind of shattering of his expectations, his hopes, and his wishes. And in a way, too, it was a shattering of his world as he had believed it to be. And Siddhartha's leaving his palace was to go out into that world, into that reality, was not just a geographical departure, but it was really, in a a very real way, leaving the palace of, of his illusions and his expectations and his insistence. Disappointment for Siddhartha was an agent of change. It was an agent of transformation. In a way, it was a very profound turning point, just as disappointment can be for us. If we can find the willingness to meet this myriad moments of disappointment, we can find the willingness to meet them with understanding, to deeply understand what is this the nature of this frustrated attachment. But first to look, sometimes how do we explain disappointment to ourselves? One of perhaps the most familiar ways of explaining disappointment to ourselves is when we tell ourselves, and actually often tell the world, that life is simply unfair. You know that one? You know, the mantra of it's not fair following us through life. And we see how we we just don't get what we want often enough. (laughs) Our expectations aren't fulfilled often enough. And so we we move in that often to blame ourselves or to blame the world or, or to strive for an elusive perfection that somehow always seems to lie in another moment. Sometimes our response to disappointment is to sink into despair, into apathy, to give up, resignation. A haven, it feels like a safer world, that that despair, than, than to risk disappointment. Sometimes we get very angry and aversive 
in the face of disappointment. You know, our hearts can harden, our, we can become so, so, so bitter, not understanding the way things are, the simple truths of the moment. And sometimes I think we've, we've heard that voice in ourselves that can be so, so blaming and at times so bitter. I mean, on a, on a lighter note, there's a wonderful story about a student who goes into a monastery, silent monastery, and every ten years they have an interview in which they can say two words. And the first ten years goes by and the student goes for the interview and the teacher says, well, how are you doing? The student says, bed hard. Teacher says, you know, your practice is not going that well. I'd suggest, you know, you go back and try again. Another 10 years goes by, and the student comes back, and teacher says, well, how's it going now? You know, and student says, food bad. And teacher says, so you still really haven't got the gist of this, have you? <laughs> you know, go back, you know, another 10 years goes by, and student comes back again, and the teacher says, well, now, how is it going now? And the student says, I quit. The teacher says, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain for the last 30 years. <laughs> I mean, sometimes in the face of disappointment, what we do, and this is a tricky one, we just think that we've hoped for the wrong things or from the wrong people. And so we kind of transfer exactly the same wishes and expectations and hopes to someone or to something else. The truth is that when our map of life is sabotaged, disappointment is its outcome. We feel let down and then this tragic cycle of hoping and wishing and struggle and pain just goes round and round. And I think its end result is to make us mistrustful of life and at times mistrustful of ourselves. So what is the insight, the understanding we are really asked to see? It is true that disappointment can be a black hole we disappear into, but at the very, very same disappointment can be a genuine turning point Disappointment can make us bitter or it can be beginning of a path of freedom to waking up to life's realities. And that path of freedom really begins by our willingness to turn towards this experience of disappointment rather than fleeing from it. To ask, what is it that we need to learn here? Where is the understanding within this most uncomfortable feeling? First we see clearly that disappointment and expectation or insistence go hand in hand. That hoping and craving and frustration are just different sides of the same impulse. Now it is actually quite hard for us to imagine at times a life that is not shaped by craving and expectation. Because we see even from the moment that we wake up in the morning, we hope our day is going to be a certain way. 
You know, we hope that our backache's going to disappear. We're hoping for some illuminating moment. We're hoping just even that there's something else than oatmeal for breakfast. And, and each of those moments is like an invitation to, to suffer and to struggle or to be free, to enlighten the moment. And I think most of us, if we're quite honest, we, we would confess we surely do want life to be a certain way. And in truth, some of these expectations come from a very deep place in our hearts. And some of those expectations and wishing are very valid. They inspire us. And even the Buddha said, don't give up the wish for enlightenment too soon. You know, certainly we wish and hope for happiness and love and freedom in our lives. We would probably all wish for peace and justice. We would all wish for a life in a world where there's an end of alienation and struggle. We would all wish for a life in a world where there's dignity and integrity, a depth of compassion. And in reality, without those expectations, most of us would never begin. Most of us would never have arrived here. And to to have no aspirations in life, to seek for nothing, most of us, what would that mean? But what's really important to really, I think, be aware of is at what point, at what point do these aspirations, these longings, these wishes, even these expectations, at what point do they turn into insistence or demand or even a sense of entitlement? At what point do they begin to cause suffering? whether they're about ourselves or whether they're about another. How do we turn those aspirations into assumptions or even a measure of our worth? That somehow, if they're not achieved in this moment, it means that we're a failure or it means that somebody else is a failure. At what point do those aspirations become a forerunner to struggle and disappointment, or turn into a place where we have invested so much of self, so much I, that failure of our expectations or disappointment of our expectations shatters us. Now, Siddhartha's family did everything for him except to provide a forum in which he could explore letting go and freedom. Now life continues to provide for us that forum. Can we first begin to embrace the discomfort of disappointment rather than to jump away from it? This is not easy practice. That's hard. Because I think we can see in ourselves that Many times we have a very low tolerance for discomfort on any level. We might have met some of that today, although I must say you've been amazing. In fact, one of the illusions, the illusion, illusions and expectations that keeps, us, that keeps disappointment spinning in our life is that somehow we imagine that we should have a discomfort-free life. Now, as you can imagine, the Buddha had one or two things to say about that. One of them I'll share with you. 
when he said to the, his students, he said, did you ever see in this world a man or a woman, 80, 90, 100 years old, frail, crooked as a gable roof, bent down, resting on crutches with tottery steps, infirm, with youth long fled, broken teeth, gray and scanty hair, or none, wrinkled with blotched limbs, and did the thought never come to you? You also cannot escape this. If we open our eyes just a little and we see the, world, the way that our world is so punctuated with hurt and loss and fear and grief and sadness, did the thought never come to arise that this too will come to us? And Freud once said that neurosis is the refusal to suffer. I think the Buddha, I think, said it a little bit differently. He said the unwillingness to embrace suffering with grace and compassion and understanding is perhaps the greatest of all suffering. My sense is that the most broken moments in our lives ask us to pause and to reflect and to see more deeply and to ask ourselves how can we free ourselves of the suffering of disappointment. Now we know that we can never totally free ourselves of hurt or sadness. You know, it, it, it is human. It is what it means to have a heart, to be alive, is to be touched by pain and to, to know the whole spectrum of emotions that a heart can feel. And truly, there is discomfort in life, which we simply cannot ever avoid or escape. But the deeper ache of disappointment, I think this is something different. That this really is an open door to freedom. If we can find the the willingness to stay with that discomfort, to be interested in it, it's almost like taking the first step to walk through that door because it's for really understanding the first noble truth. And maybe first we ask ourselves, what is it that we were wishing for? What is it that we were hoping for or expecting? And then maybe we ask ourselves, well, just how tightly were we holding to those wishes and those hopes? And perhaps we can see that the degree of tightness in our holding is also how tightly we bind ourselves to frustration and disappointment. And perhaps we didn't even realize how much our happiness and well-being relies upon our hopes and expectations being met until once more we find ourselves in that black hole of frustration or bitterness or disappointment. Perhaps we didn't even realize how strongly we hold the map of how life should be, how other people should be, how we should be, until that map is challenged. And that is really the discomfort that we are asked to embrace, that hope and disappointment should and frustration are they just married to one another. You know, there's a way of living in this life of shouldlessness. Shouldlessness. In a way, 
helplessness, if I can say that without that sounding like a, a surrender of aspiration. But learning to marry ourselves to confidence and freedom. You know, disappointment, in my experience, is kind of like a small death. It's, it's a death of our wishes. Sometimes it's a death of our images or of another or ourselves. It can be a death of our worldview. And if we can see that and just relax into it, you know, perhaps in that death we're really just willing and ready to meet life wholeheartedly just as it is. Never certain, never sure, unpredictable, full of surprises, full of change. Reliability is just not the nature of this life, and that's often what we're expecting and demanding. I think really the way to dissolve, one way of really beginning to dissolve the discomfort of disappointment is to meet it, to look it in the face, to look it in the eye. Instead of disconnecting, you know, if our back aches, to meet that aching back. If a friend lets us down, does that make us less of a friend or them less less of a friend? When the bathrooms don't work, the bathrooms just don't work. The water just doesn't run. We're meeting imperfection. You know, if our mind is unruly and we want to escape, maybe we could learn to turn towards it and befriend it. There's no cure for discomfort. It's part of being alive. But there is a cure for disappointment and despair and aversion. To learn to hold the attachment to our demands just a little bit more lightly. You know, non-attachment and equanimity and freedom, we use these words all the time. But please don't imagine that they're destinations, that they're somehow fixed abodes that lie somewhere else. They are practices. They are verbs. We are non-attaching. We are freeing. It was a way of not trying to fix anything in place at all. Then perhaps we can allow all our expectations our demands, our insistence to hold a little bit less importance. Maybe we can see a way in which all of those expectations and insistence and demands, maybe we don't have to allow them to be the gatekeeper of our hearts, to be the gatekeeper of our our happiness, the gatekeeper of our peace. This is really, I must say, quite challenging practice because we see in our lives saturated with expectations, generated, expectations just generated moment to moment about how we should, what we should happen in our sitting, what should happen in our walking, you know, that the sunset that we saw yesterday, it should be here again today. Maybe it's not going to be. The lunch that was wonderful, we're hoping for a better, even a better one tomorrow. You know, we're aware of this stream of insistence and, and hopes and expectations, and it's where we practice equanimity. It's where we practice not holding 
You know, what would it be like for us to approach every sitting and every walking with a heart that simply doesn't know what to expect? Can we sense the glimmer of freedom and possibility within that not knowing? What is it like to listen to our hearts, to our bodies and our minds with a mind that simply doesn't know? that isn't expecting the resumption of pain, isn't expecting the wondrous fantasy to return or the most terrible nightmare to return, isn't, isn't seeing this moment as if we've seen it a thousand times before. What is it like to listen to a bird in that moment before the label or the word bird even appears? We can be surprised in not knowing. It can touch us deeply. We can meet our life with a kind of unfiltered receptivity. And perhaps we can begin to discover the peace and the happiness that is born of liberating ourselves, and actually not just ourselves, liberating others and liberating the world from the weight of our shoulds and expectations. And Nagarjuna, one of his great Indian teachers, one of my favorite things he ever said, is to no longer insist on being someone, is to be free to be no one. You know, and maybe when we no longer insist that another person is a certain way, or the world is a certain way, we actually liberate another person And we liberate the world from the weight of our expectations and shoulds. The map, this map that we hold of life, that we hold of ourselves, hold of other people, when we hold it so tightly, this map can only take us to places that we've been to before, that we already know. You know, it's a little bit like watching the movie Titanic. How many of you didn't know the ending when you started watching it? Like, I, we know the ending. You know, we know the ending of loads of our stories, don't we? We know the ending of loads of our expectations. We know the ending of loads of our narratives and shoulds. We already know the ending. <laughs> you know, imagine if you had to watch Titanic over and over again. The ending was no surprise to us. When we let go of the attachment to the map, maybe we can travel pathways into places we don't know, that we've never touched, never seen. And yet not knowing is the hardest place, I think, for us to really rest with ease. It's often initially a place of fear and discomfort. And yet it's the truth of life. Deepening in meditation really has something to do with the ability, our ability to bear the discomfort of disappointment and to learn the lessons that it offers to us. I also feel that happiness and peace in our lives has a great deal to do with that same ability to bear discomfort. You know, when we begin to practice, <coughs> we often expect bliss and we expect, expect calm and peace and We all want them, and we often think that the way to this peace and this bliss is to somehow stop or to resist or to annihilate 
all the chaotic thoughts and disturbing emotions that make us uncomfortable. But then soon we discover, of course, you've all discovered already, that your life surely does follow you onto the cushion, into your walking path. And we tell ourselves it shouldn't be happening. How many times do you hear that? This shouldn't be happening. And holding those shoulds, we meet the very familiar places of frustration and disappointment. So what is it like then to let go of those expectations and to let go of the disappointment? To make room for the unruly thoughts and the difficult emotions. To make room for the hardships of our life. To make space instead of making disappointment. And perhaps we discover that really our hearts don't have to be shattered. And then the wisdom that disappointment teaches us again and again is to let go of everything that we attach ourselves to, to lighten the load of demand and insistence. And when we make room for the unruly and disturbing, you know what? It's no longer so unruly. It's no longer so disturbing. We can explore that peace of not knowing, of befriending what is. We can explore the wisdom of disappointment. We can explore the the liberation of not trying to continually find ground in the groundless, of resting in freedom, and yet really not holding on to anything at all. There's a wonderful piece I'd like to end with from Kalu Rinpoche. He says, we live in confusion and the illusion of things. There is a reality. You are that reality. When you know that, you will know that you are nothing. And being nothing, you are everything. That is all. We could take just a moment quietly. May all beings be free from struggle. May all beings live in peace. Before you go into the walk-in, I'd uh, just like to pass on the appreciation of many uh, on the staff who've received numerous notes of offering to help carry buckets, 
chocolate <laughs> that they have received. It's very, it's very touching. And, you know, for, we're very aware, you know, that in the middle of a retreat, you know, this can be a little bit knock off balance and very appreciative of the kind of uh, willing, your willingness to embrace it and uh, to assure you that the bucket duty starts at four in the morning. So bathrooms will be watered. This time's a walking period. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.